Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an off-forgotten installment of a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and in the words of Richard Gere, what's his name? Jesse, <laughs> show me your toes. And with me, I've got Liam. The Silver Surfer is a real jerk. Wow, so both of my quotes were just taken. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you kidding? Yep. Demand to see another okay, no, body gonna, part. Has that ever happened? Wait, but has one. that ever happened? Like, like both of your immediate, like, first two options were gone? No, I think this is a first. Only a jerk would stay when he could go. Similar scenes, similar vibes. You know what else is Same a first? Same character, the comic book kid. Yeah, you know what else is a first? I'm looking you both in the eyes right now. We're in the same room, which we've never done, ever. Not not in the course of our friendship. Never once. It's an entirely remote friendship. If I see them in public, I run away as to not make direct contact. But no, Liam and I have done this once together. Cabin Fever 2. A classic of classics. And um, we've never done it with Mitch. Mitch, we're in your house. We are, yes, in my living room. You're drinking out of a big old frosty moog. Yeah, having some, some beers. And what kind of drink did you make us? I made a raspberry lemonade that I made a little oleosaccharum with, with raspberry and lemon peel. And what is that? That's like when you let... <laughs> it's a very old technique, but you just let lemon peels or whatever fruit you want sit in citrus and then or sit in uh, sugar. And then the sugar pulls the flavors from the fruit and you just let it sit there for several hours, maybe overnight. And then you add like a little bit of hot water and then... That's your thing. And so it extracts like the oils of the fruit really nicely. So it okay. has like a much more rich uh, flavor. Yeah. It's, it's what they do if you get like uh, lemonade at like a county fair. They're going right. to make an, an oleosaccharum. It's a more traditional technique. Yeah. Um, they're beautiful drinks. You will see them. We've documented the drinks. There's a whole new world being opened up here of like visual gag potential. We're going to try to limit that as much as possible. But I do want to set a scene. We're in your living room. Uh, immediately to my left is two things. There's Liam and a map of the world. Yes. One of those things is naked. Guess which one? Yeah, you never would. Ironically, though, based on how you said that, it is kind of the map, as the map is not in a frame. So in a way... We're it, both naked. In a way, you're both naked. Um, we've got big mirror. We've got old-timey phone. Yeah, we've, the phone's from like sometime between 1907 or 1916. Yeah. We've got a literal chest of booze. Yes, yeah, a massive bar. I think there's like 80 bottles in there. Yeah, we've yeah. got a framed portrait of Laura Palmer sitting alongside the podcasting equipment itself. Staring right at me. It's inspirational, as some of us have put it. I'll take a picture for you guys. Thank you. And uh, immediately to my right, there's something that I want to bring up right now. I just hit it, so it made some sound. The other day, we got a box. Oh, And... Inside of that box is one of the downright wackiest things we've ever received in the mail. I think period in our lives. Um, a listener named Shane. Shane, thank you very much. Has sent us a few emails, chatted a bit, and he was like, hey, I want to send you guys something. We were like, wow, that's very thoughtful. Okay, let's do that. A lot of time passed because, you know, the postal system's real piece of shit. Um, but a box arrived. It says, please be gentle on the side. And they were. And inside that box, gentlemen, as we know, was a fucking VCR. <laughs> a fully operational... We're just shaking our heads in disbelief, folks. A fully operational VCR complete with remote and cables 
well, we got our and, own and RCA a very cables. thoughtful note. Yeah, well, I was getting there, and um, a very sweet note from Shane. We have reached out to Shane, but also just like, thank you very much, anybody who listens to this show enough to to even just like you know listen at all or give us a nod. But in this case, this is truly some absolutely wild above and beyond stuff, and uh, we can't wait to start using it. I think we're gonna try to do a podcast movie on it sometime. Mm-hmm. If we can track one down. Yeah, we've got to... We'll start hitting up, like, uh, the VB. thrift stores yeah. and stuff. And just some... There's going to be some sequels there. <laughs> Predator 2. Dude, Predator that's 2 right. would be Whatever gas. We find. Yeah, that's what I've I'm got thinking. Predator 1 here. Okay. It, that and White Palace are both in the box. White Palace. A double feature. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, thank you, Shane. Thank this you. This was the impetus for this first in-real-life trio podcast. That's right. Shane what? Shane is the reason that our friendship has been mended and we've met in person yeah, for the first time. I was mere moments from challenging Mitch to a duel at 10 paces and I feel like it's really warmed the relationship back I'd over. use a blade. 10 paces is for cowards. You Throw guys are about 10 paces away right now though, so it could happen Ten at any tiny moment. paces. We're like five paces. They're like two paces. That's two paces? Two big, two yeah, big paces. Dude, I take real big steps. I, I strive. Do you want to see? And then we just start doing like Looney Tunes shit in here. We do have like untapped potential to like get up to hijinks. I feel like last time Liam and I did this, we were tied down to a table. And we kind of still are because we were sitting at a table. Yeah. But now it's like. We're spread out. Now I'm standing. What the fuck? Yeah. I never stand. Well, actually, I've stood for the podcast one other time. But, you know, that was exceptional circumstance. I'm going to sit back down. How that, does it feel up there? It was, dude. Oh, dude. 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 Um, it was great. Um, the only other time I'd ever done that, I had to call into the show, and I was wearing headphones that made it so I was ostensibly wireless. And that was an untapped freedom, the likes of which man may never know. It's sort of like Icarus and Daedalus, you know? You, you hear about these guys? Let's just say they got up to some shit. TMAO on the go. Indeed. This is also sort of a dry run of impending Krispy Kreme shenanigans. This is the setup we'd be using when when that fateful day arrives. <laughs> don't look, don't give me that look like you know we're not doing it. We need to do it. We're going to do it live from the Krispy Kreme yes. and get kicked out by management. I don't think we'd get kicked out. Who cares? You know? We need to have some of that rebel spirit. It would True. be fun to document us getting kicked out. We can pick yeah. a fight with the Krispy Kreme person it's like as a good, we're going. It's like any good skate video has the part where the security guy comes out and insists that you can't skate there. And while they're being distracted by somebody in the crew, they just do it anyway. Yes, you guys can distract him and I can be like, by the way, the movie is 7 out of 10. <laughs> I'm going to make a big landing. scene. Yeah. And you need to do it in some sort of like persona elaborate get up a voice yeah I, I was i was gonna try to do a, a a jordan peterson voice but i couldn't i it couldn't come to be fast i enough. was thinking more like a katherine hepburn or something oh like a real <laughs> a real <laughs> i can't do that um can you uh, no not really but i have time to work on it could you give us a taste you've opened a whole thing here Wow, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, um, we're also here, I think, for a, for a pretty interesting movie. You know what else had a very rebellious spirit? The French New Wave, <laughs> indeed. And uh, dude, do the segways hit better in person? 
a couple of nouveau vagues. No, I'd say they're equally as uh, slapdash. Yeah, understandable. I'm working on it. Uh, I'm growing every day, and I apologize. Um, but I'm also, if you if you're a hater, I'm gonna give you a swirly later. That's my promise to you. Um, so we're talking about some. This is a really interesting example, I think, because yeah, French New Wave, uh, and then you wait twenty years. And they put the most like pastel pop culture poppy covered bubblegum eighties bubblegum eighties panache pol- polished over it. recognizable actors. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a far cry from Godard's debut nineteen sixty film because that was his directorial debut, right? Right. That's him now. <laughs> Back from I, think the might be, I think it might be Cameron. Should I answer the <laughs> dog? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Are you kidding me? This is, this is, this, we've never done this before. This, I mean, I don't know if it's going to stay in. What's up? <laughs> Who do we got here? Hello, Cameron. Do you want to make an impromptu reappearance? Have you ever seen the movie 1983 Breathless? Like it's a remake of the Godard one? Yeah. 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 Some dude, I don't remember his name. Uh, Jim McBride? Sounds kind of fucking stupid to remake. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's got Richard Gere. Okay. Yeah. And his dick. And his dick's out. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, for Richard's Richard. I feel like every time you show up, we end up talking about some like real nudity stuff. Like, yeah. Uh, is that just like a presence you feel like you always have? Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of a tough question. Yeah. Really? Wait, why I mean, is this making? About it at the the other day. Why is this making the rounds right now? Well, because it's astonishing. <laughs> Mitch, Mitch said that he showed it to Cam. Um, Cam showed it to me. Cam showed it to him, and then they they reacquainted themselves after the pod, and then oh. Cam showed Mitch the video of the dude putting the cactus up his ass. Same dude. That's true. That's true. I, can I don't want to see that. that one. Yeah, I'm less interested in that one. It's. I mean, it's nothing special. Like it's. I mean, it's still impressive, but it's. <laughs> It's not quite the same as like. There's something unique to putting your own balls in your own ass. Yeah, for sure. Right? That just can't be replicated with like succulents or like someone else's balls or ass yeah, or anything no. like that. No, it leaves you breathless. Yeah, it's the, it, it's the same problem I think that this remake might have. Perfect. All right, on that I'll leave you guys to it. All right, this was our scheduled sitcom Kramer moment. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Peace out, bro. See you, man. You just can't get this remotely, folks. This is this is the kind of content. Fr- friends of the pod just walking in. It's like a sitcom. This is the kind of content we could charge <laughs> you Patreon money for, but we won't because we're we're, we're better than that. We're not going to sell out. You know who might have sold out though? The people that remade Breathless. You think so? Eh, maybe. I, I just think it's a, an earnest effort to. I just to needed a segue. Update the work. As as Liam said, these segues are getting more slapdash by the second. Yeah. Um, have we all seen the spooky? <laughs> have we all seen the original film, Breathless? You know damn well the answer to that question is no. I've seen it. I've, I've seen it too. I have not. But seen last it. week you said <laughs> right. So how could we all have seen it, Corey? Well, I was just asking. Had we all seen it? The answer is no. But so so Mitch has. Yeah. And Liam has. Yep. 
Do you guys like it? I'm okay on it. It's not my. F- I don't really love Jean-Luc Godard movies, and I like I like Fr- the French New Wave. And there's a handful of Godard films that I think are really good. Um, I'm more of a Truffaut guy, but yeah, Homie Truffaut, 400 Blows. That's the best one. Yeah, it's goaded. But I mean, there's there's so many other ones too. Like some of the early Louis Malle stuff from the late 50s, which I guess is technically before the New Wave, is really cool. Elevator to the Gallows, extraordinary film. But uh, in the whole, I think like Breathless was probably groundbreaking for its time in 1960. Um, it definitely was, but uh, it doesn't really interest me that much nowadays. I, I think like I watched it in film class and I wasn't even that excited to talk about it because I feel like so many film nerds just kind of go off about how great Breathless like valorize is. And, it. Yeah, and they talk about the jump cuts and the, and the use of non-professional actors and all of these other um, sort of rough and tumble techniques and, and improvised dialogue and all of all of these things that kind of are, are calling cards of the new wave that Breathless kind of defined. Um, but for me, it's just kind of, you've seen this story before, uh, this sort of uh, kids on the run kind of movie. In fact, it's a love letter to like the noirs of the 40s, like films like Gun Crazy, which we actually do see briefly. In this in this film, when they go to a movie theater in the eighty three oh, version, oh, that's what's playing. Yeah, Gun Crazy, a forties noir, and all these other kind of B noirs from the forties. Uh, they live by night by uh, um, Nicholas Ray, a bunch of other ones. So it, it's not necessarily that new. It's just sort of updated in French, and uh, <laughs> I guess I guess it's new enough because it's the new wave. But I don't know. I find a lot of the new wave conversation, the discourse about the critics and Cahiers de Cinema and left bank and right bank critics and all of that to be very pretentious. So I, I don't really like Godard that much uh, because I find him to be insufferably pretentious, especially Godard his, himself. Yes. Yeah. Especially okay. his later films. Um, film socialism is horrible. Um, but there's a few thing, few films by him that I really do like, but. Not not really my guy, but I wanted to check this movie out because it's uh, more of an oddity, right? The fact that this uh, classic, venerated uh, film was remade in not too much long, like, what, 23 years after the original? So right. it's not too much time had passed and they updated it and Americanized it. So I think it was uh, an interesting exercise to watch. They Americanized it and, like, 80s-ified it. For sure. Feels like a very, like distinct element of the update um and liam do you agree on the on duncan on godard because he's a pretentious dork ass or like are you more receptive to this man's wiles i i pretty well agree i um i thought that i liked breathless more the original one uh, because i've seen it a couple times did we have the same film class did you take the french new wave film class i did yeah. yeah, that would have been my th- in my third year. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was an evening ca- an evening course. Yeah. yeah, so we watched all those old new yeah. wave class, uh, yeah. new and wave I, movies. I liked a lot of them. I thought Four Hundred Blows was the best one by far. Yeah, um, four hundred. And I thought that I liked Breathless more, and, uh, but I checked my letterbox the other day um, to see what I had rated it because I was rating movies at that point, and I only I gave it a three out of five, which was less than I thought that I would have. Um, but when we had to write our final paper for that film class, um, we could write about uh, any film we had watched or even a different French New Wave film. And I remember I, I saved the essay till like the, the last night before, uh, before we I was, were supposed I was to do it. I was a bad student in that class. Yeah. I skipped a lot of it. It was a rough year. That's probably yeah. why I don't even remember that we had the class together. 
um, I was out of it. But I went to write this essay the night before and I didn't even know what movie I was going to do. And I thought that, oh, I liked this Breathless movie. So I watched the movie again that night and I liked it all right. And I was taking notes about what I should write the essay about. And I started to write the essay and then I just realized that like, I did. I did. I couldn't pull you just all that much from the movie. Say. Not enough to fill uh, however many pages we needed to do. So maybe that's why I, I liked it less than I remember. Um, what did you end up writing about? I'm just curious. I wrote about the documentary Night and Fog by Alan Renee. That's an interesting movie. The Holocaust documentary. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a definitely like a a real heartbreaking film, but it's a well-made movie for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, did we watch that in the class? Do you remember? I don't remember. I don't if I pulled remember. It from outside. I, I don't remember. I think you might've pulled that one from outside, but we did watch some other Alan Renee, yeah. uh, like last year. Did we watch last year at Marion bad? I don't remember. I don't remember. One. Or was it Hiroshima Mon Amour? They all blend together. I watched both of them in films, film school, but I don't remember which. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, uh, yeah, Breathless is, I guess, I, I don't like it as much as I, I thought I did. And in, in watching this one and just being reminded of, like, what the plot of Breathless is and stuff, um, it, it what stuff wasn't jumping out to me as, as stuff I loved. When I think about Breathless, I think of, like, the car driving scene where they, they're they showing the cuts as they're driving yeah, he's, around He's pointing scene. his gun at people while he's yeah. driving down the road. I think about that. I think about, like, a scene where a reporter is interviewing him. Yes, I think that's a really good yeah. scene. Is the bit of that, I'm not going to ask this many questions about specific, but is the bit of that like he's in character and the reporter is aware of that? Or well, his, what is... his partner in that movie is a, she's a journalist and she's oh. living in Paris. So it's in, like an American journalist in Paris? Yes. Understood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so she's like doing that and they're going to like press scrums. At one point, they interview uh, Jean-Pierre Melville. He's an oppressor. Oh, really? And like the actual, you know, the great French film director, Jean-Pierre Melville. And there's this one part where they say, what is your greatest ambition? And he says to become immortal and then die. And that's my favorite <laughs> yes. quote from that movie. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah I, I really like that aspect of the movie. I think it's a fun movie to hang out with, but I guess it didn't end up striking me um, dramatically the way some of those other French mm -hmm. new wave movies do. I think another thing that sort of sticks out when I think of that movie is, is the love for like Americana and American cinema. Like Jean, Jean-Paul Belmondo's character, the main character, is so heavily based off of like Humphrey Bogart and other kind of mannerisms. He's always got the cigarette hanging out of his mouth just by like a, the very end of it. Uh, and these lazy kind of mannerisms and, and these Americanisms in his speech. Yeah, it, it's, it's uh, a love letter to American cinema for sure. So it's interesting then that then in this remake, like they took a love letter to American cinema and like Americanized it hard. With a splash of European. Yeah. A French. That's weird. In verse. Um, it's in verse. So just for a little context for me, like the French New Wave is like a gigantic blind spot for me. I didn't take that particular class. So outside of like, I guess, Vive Savi, literally. Right. Like, Godard, also Godard. Also Godard. Which I think is also kind of pretentious. Yeah. I remember liking it. Um, and I, I'm sure I've died on, on its hill before, but in actuality, I would have to watch it again to have like a really strong yeah. opinion one way or the other. But um, I just have very, like, I have a sense of like the, like the tentpole idealistic goals of the French New Wave. This breezy sort of cool yeah. effortless style. But I haven't know? like seen them. So I don't have a good reference point for how they play out in actuality. So I think starting with this and just how 
odd this this remake is to not even have like I feel like this is one of the few times I've really felt like I'm missing the contrast point mm-hmm. like that you would benefit heavily from the awareness of the first one I feel like maybe I'm overstating it mm-hmm. but like it seemed like that way to me I don't know if you're really missing out having not seen the Jean-Luc Godard movie I think both are uh, quite different in their own way like they they're, yeah. they loosely follow the same beats but not really the endings are different um and you know the the whole vibe and, and style are totally different so I don't so think is this bordering on like remake in name only or not quite no it had it follows some of the same beats but it, I, I it's I guess it's kind of similar they're both they both sort of explore these these kinds of um insufferable forms of masculinity <laughs> right that is this insufferable self-destructive kind of masculinity that is willing to pull everyone else down and pull all the air out of the room but um i think the godard version maybe venerates that kind of masculinity a bit more whereas this one um is more critical of it right okay interesting um what was are you good yeah, I'm good. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was just now that we're in person, we can show a nod of recognition when someone makes a good point. We can, yeah, we, we have buzzers. Um, and you can interrupt, stop and interrupt everybody um, if you think somebody's made a good point. Um, with that all said, let's just get to the cast and crew stuff because this is, speaking of breezy and effortless, um, I did not have time to actually make these as I typically do, like out in a list. So I've opened up the tabs on my computer of a few people that I want to get into. And I'm just going to look at their IMDb's right now and we'll get some context that way. The director is Jim McBride, one of the most American names you could <laughs> That's find. The opposite of Jean-Luc Godard. It is basically the opposite of Jean-Luc Godard. He worked on a few movies as early as the late 60s. So he was around the block for a while. Um Something called Great Balls of Fire. Something called The Big Easy. Mm-hmm. Um, three episodes of The Wonder Years. An episode of The Twilight Zone in 1986. Meatloaf to Helen Beck. He got around. It got- appears mostly mostly directing credits. I've heard of him, but I've, I've not really watched any of these movies in his filmography. So he's, again, a blind spot for me. Yeah, I do wonder what his 60s movies are like. Like, I wonder if this is a kind of thing where he is remaking this because he was, like, not quite contemporary with it, but made similar style things around the same time. Yeah. Like, he has a movie called David Holzman's Diary, and it's just a young filmmaker decides to make a movie of his life, and that was in 1967. Yeah, I mean... So, like, maybe he's coming out of a similar bag. The, uh, like, effects and, like, the reverberations from the French New Wave were definitely felt all over the world because they were very exportable films, and they were, they played everywhere. And so, I feel like you, if you were a, a filmmaker and you were very sort of savvy with international cinema at that time, you couldn't help but kind of take notice of it. Um, and it was massively influ- influential in the Hollywood Renaissance that would sort of take place in the late sixties and seventies. So yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that cause all those techniques that the French new wave kind of used this sort of rough style of editing and, and shooting yeah. on location and handheld photography, all that stuff loomed it, large in, in the Hollywood Renaissance. So I'm sure he was influenced yeah. by it. And this appears similar. And then we've got as the writer or one of the writers, cause some of the writers are obviously like 
Godard and Truffaut have credits and whatnot. But um, L.M. Kit Carson. Do you guys remember that name? Should I? No, yes. but I wonder how I could forget. We've covered his work before. What a name. L.M. Kit Carson. Uh, wrote here. Was also previously an actor. Um, wrote Paris, Texas. Okay. Um, the, the, the capital the of Texas. This. Kind of a weird vibe, too. Or I guess a similar vibe, I mean. Another thing that they wrote, though. The thing that you'll know them for. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Oh. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. And also was a producer on Bottle Rocket. Uh, did some acting as well. But in terms of those writing credits, those are the biggest ones that sort of jump out to me. Um, so we actually are familiar with his work, which I didn't necessarily think we were going to be, which I find interesting. Uh, and then, of course, onto the acting. We got the, we got the homie Richard Gere. Right. King. And then his homie Little Richard. And then his homie Small Richard his homie tiny dick um and then i feel like i haven't done this in a while richard gear who needs no introduction he would have been fresh off of american gigolo that's too, what i'm saying uh, at this point because that was 1980 yeah, and this has casting was such a slam dunk for this given that yeah i like, mean it, it's a similar kind of part to a very similar narrative yeah. in the sense that he's like uh, it's a little more boisterous but like that's about a bit more rockabilly. Yeah. Whereas whereas I think his character in American Gigolo is much more like understated and That's t- the word I was gonna yeah. use. Yeah. Um, but like pretty woman, officer and a gentleman, etc. Search your gear. Uh the name you may not know. Uh I don't have a very good French accent, so I'm not gonna try to use it. But we got Valerie Kaprisky. And she was a newcomer here. She needs a long introduction. Yeah, she will need a long introduction. She was playing uh Monica, she's got 60 credits? Holy moly. Um, a Does lot that of sound like a lot or a little? It's more than I would have expected. Um, they're, Probably just killing it in the French game. Yeah, there's a lot of French stuff here, but one thing I want to shout out, because this title is sick, uh, By the Pricking of My Thumbs. Something Dang. wicked this way comes. Yeah, that's a good... Macbeth. What is that? That's Macbeth. Yeah, but I want to see if this movie is like just an adaptation of Macbeth or like what the deal with that is. Um by the pricking of my thumbs, the Beresfords investigate mysterious deaths at an old people's home. Witches. Witchcraft at an old age home? I can get behind that. Is it witchcraft, though? Well, by the title, I'm going to have to assume it is. This looks like a... like this. It's giving, like, Pink Panther. Maybe they're just, like, giving blood or something. Or they're, you, it's from 2005. It's like... This looks like a comedy, almost. Liam, do you agree? Yeah, it looks like a comedy. I just can't. I could turn the screen, I guess, but. Oh, I almost spilled your drink. Oh. Okay. Yeah, it looks, Weird like, vibe. It looks like a goofball comedy. Well, kinda. she's in there. Okay. I'm going to try to not spill anything. <laughs> Riveting in-person entertainment. Yeah, this is the Will stuff Corey that you, spill the drink? This is the stuff that you can't get anywhere else. Um, the, I'm, Those are the only two actors we're going we're gonna to worry about today. <laughs> Uh, otherwise we're going to be here all day and I'm going to have to pull up like 800 tabs. Yeah, yeah, whatever. We're just in my living room. The others need no introduction. No. Matt Damon shows up, you know him. They they might need one, but I mean, I don't know. Like people like James Hong and Bruce Valanche literally probably don't need one. Granted, Bruce Bruce Valanche is in this for about 30 seconds, but. Who's, he plays the. The person in the bathroom stall. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the the purse. 
the guy who helps him escape to Mexico, I can't remember his name, but I recognized him from eating Raul. Dude, unreal vibes on that guy. Yeah, that guy that guy <laughs> that guy plays like this pervert in Eating Raul who's like one of the first ones that yeah. they that they kill. Have you seen Eating Raul? No, that I still I still want to. Good as fuck. Yeah, I know, I know yeah. we've told you this. Definitely not a PC movie, but but uh President's Choice. Yeah, not a President's Choice. You're movie. eating tonight, fellas. Yeah, I'm more that of a no-name that guy. movie goes to some pretty fucked up corners, but it's that uh, movie's so good. It's it's really good. Shout out to Mary Warnov. Yeah, and Paul Bartel. <laughs> Any excuse that we have to come up with that script stuff. The the composer. Um Jack Nietzsche. If you stare into the abyss long enough, the abyss stares back at you. Indeed. And that's his son. Um, something something. An officer and a gentleman. Okay. Uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And this is the most fascinating element of all. He has a well also Starman. The John Carpenter movie, but also a soundtrack credit for the Elephant Love Medley of Moulin Rouge. Huh. Yeah. Okay, we'll take that. That's it's it's interesting. It's interesting. The Jewel of the Nile, as well. Ah, the Jewel of the Nile. Pretty sure that's also another name, but Little what? Richard. I'm pretty Dude. sure it's a restaurant just down the street oh, called that. Hardcore. Really? Yeah. I love. Okay, so we have like a few like sh- early Schrader connections. Yeah. Here. Also, there's a movie in here they did the composing for. Oh, and also cruising. Okay, so you've got you, yeah, you've got this Sh- dude fucking got around. Schrader, Friedkin, yeah, kind of both both uh, pretty seedy movies. Yeah, and also, yeah, one foot. Wow, yeah, what a run. And then also just a movie called When You Coming Back, Red Rider, which I just think is a fun name for a movie to have. Sometimes I, I make choices for this part purely based on if I think the title is fun to say. You're no, you might not ever get a chance to say it out loud again. So I might not. And, and in fact, I sometimes explicitly choose not to. If I ever string certain movie titles together again, I've taken a capsule that will just end me instantly. Laugh into the microphone. This is an audio medium. <laughs> 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 so funny. Like that. If you do it like that, you're fine. We got the cinematographer from Richard H. Klein. Uh, wow. I've just scrolled down onto his. Yeah, he's done a lot. I recognize what the name. on earth? This is a weird combination of things, though. Um, the 1976 King Kong. Okay. Uh, Soylent Green. The Andromeda Strain. Howard the Duck. Oh, dear. Have you guys seen Howard the Duck? I've, no. I've heard people... I, so whisper I, about it. I've seen Howard the Duck, and when I watched Howard the Duck, um, <laughs> I, when I watched it, I hung out with a dude, and it's the only time I've ever hung out with him, and it's like we ended up just like wanting to hang out, and we ended up like we were in my room, we just watched Howard the Duck, and that's the only time. Like, and I didn't stop hanging out with him because it was how like, I I was nearing the end of high school. He was a bit older than I was, and it was just this like, why are we watching Howard the Duck? Kind of, Get out honest, of my I'm house. explaining this out loud. It sounds way weirder than I think it was at the time, but um, that's why how I saw that movie. It, you're making it sound like Howard the Duck wasn't the reason you stopped hanging out. It wasn't, but, but you knew that you should stop hanging <laughs> out because you were watching. Just because the Howard impression the Duck. W- being given was it that. Sounds of, to me like Howard the Duck is why you stopped. <laughs> it might be. Yeah. It's um. Or did he bill you for it afterwards? It's impossible to I say did? for sure. I do. <laughs> it's because he's a duck. Yeah, it was a foul um, movie. <laughs> Sorry, into the mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, a few other interesting credits in here, though. Death Wish 2. 
So maybe we'll do that someday. Charles Bronson. Chuck Bronson. Mm. Uh, I'd be down. You know, Eli, more... you know Eli Roth did the remake of Death Wish? He did. The Bruce Willis. Willis. As well, yeah. Billis. Yeah, the Billis. Billis Willis. Um, but interestingly to me, Body Heat. Okay. Dude, okay. that movie is gas. Again, this movie kind of gives Body Heat vibes. Dude, in this movie's way. horny as hell. And the, horny as hell in those bright pastels. Yeah, and Body Heat is horny as fuck. And also, it, I guess it has an affinity for those 40s films too, so... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we've got the editor, Robert Estrin. Estrin. Badlands. Yeah, again, there's so much Badlands in this the movie. The Candidate. A river runs through it. Something called The Cabinet of Dr. Ramirez. So he's the cinematographer? <laughs> editor. Editor, okay. That's the gist of what I'm going to do for that section. That's kind of everybody we need to worry about. Um, and so... The plot of Breathless. You see, there's this guy. Yeah, he's pretty cool. He's pretty. He's pretty fucking. Kind of, kind of Elvis Presley. Kind of. You know, well, who, who does who does he worship? Which which rockabilly? Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lewis. Yeah, that's right. Who uh, Joel also Lewis, who Lewis, did Lewis. the song "Great Balls of Fire." So that makes me think that this director was uh, was a Lewis. fan. I think this. Yeah, this dude was a big uh, JLL head. JLL cool J head. Uh, so I bet you he did. I bet you he was like really uh, inspired and influenced by Godard because they were like sort of contemporaries. I bet he kind of looked up to him the way you look up to someone who's like a few years ahead of you and more successful. Right. But I bet the main reason he decided to do this movie was he was like, yo, my homie, my man, Jerry Lee Lewis. I has can that finally song breathless. Jerry Lee Lewis. Conveniently, this guy's going to steal a Porsche. Mitch is boozing. He's, he's begun to pour the drink. Does that mean he liked the movie or didn't like it? Who could say? No, I just poured a little. I just like spiked my my lemonade. Mike's hard lemonade. Yeah. Brought to you by. No, I got with, that backwards. With this rid- ridiculous Polish vodka that I have, this overproof. I use it to make limoncello. It's seventy six percent. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. You're you're gonna go blind. Well, I only put like a little bit of it in. So um, also, I got that backwards. So if I may correct the record for a moment. This episode of They Made Another One is brought to you by Mike's Hard Lemonade. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Put it on the ground, kick it so hard you break your toe. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Now available in clean coal flavor. Now available in clean coal. Uh, Zero emissions, Mike's Hard Lemonade. Made with clean coal. Made with clean coal. (laughs) Put it in your car. You know the cars that run on vegetable oil? This one runs on uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> Clean Coal Edition. Clean Coal Edition, Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's it's sort of like the Coke Zero of, of Mike's Hard. Ground, the Mike's Hard catalog. The, the Ground Zero. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Coca-Cola Ground Zeros. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget, dude. <laughs> anyway, I think that... <laughs> I think that's what Breathless is about. End of right? the mic, gentlemen. Breathless is about not forgetting 9/11 or anything else. But, it, but it's from 1983. Well, they knew some stuff was coming. That's all I'll say. Um, that's how we know it was an inside job. Yeah, because Richard Gere. There's. A, I thought it was weird when there was like a four-minute monologue where he just addresses the camera directly and lays out the details of what happened on September 11th, 2001. Now they're going to tell you that jet fuel it only burns so hot. <laughs> so there's going to be this building called the Pentagon, <laughs> and 
Look, it's there's you're gonna see photos of of it, 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 and they're gonna say that it hit it, but don't believe it. Don't believe it. They're gonna say that there are weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and there aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Dick Cheney profited off of the Iraq War. Richard Gere just says this he, in the he movie. He says it all. It's, it's like this. It's a breathless monologue. He's just frantic. He's sweating a lot. Right through his shirt. Dude, like sopping. And he's just frantically just like insisting yeah, and okay, upon the realities of, of 9-11 in the post post sort of, you know. And his hips are gyrating too. Like he's doing the Jerry Lee Lewis too. thing the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I know, I told you, honey, there's gonna fly a building into the plane. Or <laughs> wait. <laughs> you ain't nothing but a war profiteer. <laughs> Lying the all the time. That's <laughs> <laughs> <We>, on noble. <laughs> clean coal. And then he does virtue, he does speak of the virtues of clean coal for about ten minutes. And then the regular song, Great Balls of Fire, plays. Yeah, in full. <laughs> they don't cut away or nothing. It's a static shot of a record player. <laughs> Great Balls of Fire plays. Um, so, <laughs> this dude, Jesse, yeah? Yeah. He, he's something of a f- fucked up guy. He's in a bit of a situation. He's kind of the worst. He's kind of an asshole. And he needs to escape to Mexico. Because he's done some unscrupulous dealings. And so, he's in Vegas. And he steals a Porsche... Not a Porsche, a Porsche. Porsche. It was the 80s. We didn't know how to say German words yet. and um, They didn't have the respect. They to. just didn't have the respect for the Germans yet. And so he steals this car, and he's driving back to LA. He's got a situation. Uh, he discovers a gun in the car. This is extremely important. And he ends up getting pulled over because he gets impatient in a construction zone, and there's a little bit of a chase, and he, he almost flies off of a cliff in this car. And uh, the cops want to catch him. The cops got a gun out. And instead of giving himself up, like any good Christian would, uh, he shoots a cop. But it's not really clear if it's deliberate. It's, it doesn't. Like, like I he, would say visually it is not deliberate. It's I ambiguous. Could, I, think. I thought it was the cop's gun going off. It doesn't even look like he's holding it in a way that the gun could go off. Yeah, and um, he shoots through the back windshield and I guess by chance maybe strikes the cop. Because nobody could make that shot if they... No. They were even trying to. No, you could uh, you could get fucking... Oh, I was going to make a joke and I... What's her name? Sharpshooter Old West Lady. Something Annie Oakley. Old, you could get Annie Oakley to take... Annie, get your gun. <laughs> you could get Annie to take that shot. She gonna, could, oh yeah. She it ain't going to happen. She going to shoot it. It's not going to happen. Uh, I thought it was weird that um, Richard Gere did a five-minute monologue insisting that Annie Oakley was not a good shot. Well... Um, Annie Oakley was a big inspiration for the film Gun Crazy, which we see in this movie. Yeah, what a great name for a movie. Gun we Crazy? Should, we, we should start calling more shit, just like in funny combinations of words. It's really good. I, <laughs> I highly recommend it. It's a great sort of 40s B. I'm more. Pineapple Frond Psycho or whatever. It's true. There's Pineapple Fronds in my drink and I've almost put up my eye. That's what Christmas Story is about. Mm-hmm. So Jesse's got a gun and he's sh- he shot a cop. And uh, that's not great for Rut him. Row. Rut row. raggy. So he gets back to L.A. and he's like, there's two things I got to do. I got to get some money and I got to find my Goyle. Um, the the interesting curveball here is that he appears to be about like pushing 30. Um, yeah, they the, say he's 28. And the girl he goes to find looks like she's 18 plus one day. And Richard Gere looks like he's 38 plus yeah. one day. The, and he's really persistent. The age gap is palpable. And 
he goes and he like destroys the facilities during her architectural exam. And her life. And also just sort of blows up her entire life in the express interest of just being horny. Um, he claims it's love. I personally, I'll get to this now. I think he's mostly just horny. Um, he breaks into her apartment, sort of lets himself use the various facilities. Liam is shaking his head like that is an unscrupulous thing to do. And it is. And, um, oh, go ahead. No, you I don't condone it. <laughs> he doesn't allow it. I don't and stand by it. The first time somebody tried to break into Liam's house, he got so, so forcefully enraged that uh, he taught them a lesson they will not soon forget that I dare not describe in words. Oh, he, and ever you know, since, he, nobody's ever tried to avail themselves of any various apartments of Liam. All never, he said is... Never once in his life. Listen, mister, I know you're coming from a clean coal, and I don't hold with that. <laughs> Liam, how, how is your clean coal doing now? <laughs> how is it today? <laughs> uh, saggy and a little to the left. I thought it was really interesting, actually, the part in this movie where Richard Gere does the monologue with the JFK assassination. Back into the left. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought He's that was... full of conspiracies in this. Yeah. It's a really interesting direction to take the character, especially the contrast of knowing that in the first movie, uh, he teams up, not teams up, but is like paired off with, with a journalist, somebody of like scrupulous facts and values, and to have this guy sort of be some sort of conspiracy psycho that's definitely real and in the movie. Definitely um, not fabricated by no, us here in my but living But he does room. seem like the type that would... He would not get vaccinated. That's right. Like, yeah. So <laughs> No shot. I don't even or, think it's that, that unrealistic. He, yeah, he only would if somebody framed it him and like, but you can go hook up with, with babes if you get like vaccinated. And then he'd be like, well, if it's for the Goyles. And if I can get another dope like pastel colored automobile. Dude, the pink fucking... The MG? Oh. I think it's an MG. Oh. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the visual humor. Um, <laughs> so he's back in LA and he needs money and he needs to leave as fast as possible. But he's trying to convince... And he left all of his money in his other coat that he left under the dead officer. Yeah, he left all of his money in Vegas, basically. Me too. Me too. Um, relatable. <laughs> relatable. And um, so the situation that he's in is that he is like fleecing cars off people to try to make some quick cash to get out. He is given a check that he cannot cash. And uh, I don't understand why. At multiple points in oh, the movie, he's mo- a fugitive. No, no, no. Yeah, but at multiple points in the movie, <laughs> he's a bad dude. You see him <laughs> shoot that cop. But at multiple points in the movie, like he tries to get other people to cash it, and they're saying like, "I don't have enough money in the bank to cash it," and it's like that's not how checks work. The check has the value of the money. Like you get the money when you bring the check to the bank. Like the dude at the at like the post office looking building, the stamp building. Yeah, yeah. Like says that he can't cash it. I believe because he doesn't have the money and it's like it's a check though that's what it's for it has monetary value I don't really know how checks work and if there's a cost associated with cashing checks but how, I don't think how so much last could time it I possibly checked be, dude. last time I checked last time I last time I money ordered um, so I just thought that was strange uh, maybe I was misinterpreting it somewhat in any case he can't get the money off this check so he's trying to like swindle his way through some deals to get money fast so we can get to Mexico. As he says. As he says. And um, all the while he's trying to convince this girl to like be with him forever because he loves her. And she is trying to sort of like get her life started as an adult. She's here from France to go to school. She's doing architectural design it seems. She's trying to get in with some people who could really mentor her and establish a great career. She's got a place. And she's also got this really horny guy. And that's sort of the problem that she has. 
And so the story of it is essentially like those intertwining, like him in an increasingly desperate situation and their sort of like torrid romance playing out um, and seeing how that shakes out for our star-crossed lovers. And if, if they are in love. Well, star-crossed lovers in, I guess, the more like literal sense. Sure. Star-crossed fuckers, if you would prefer. <laughs> I'll just let that one sit for a second. Dude, you're fucking gonna you're gonna get absolutely wa- wacky in here with a you're you're drinking beer and liquor. Ah. Yeah, it's like a very little bit of liquor, but yeah, yeah I've got both on the go. Whoa. I'm double fisting right now. Whoa. Um, that's pretty much it. I'm I'm gonna I'm clearly you're out of breath. You're breathless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Smoking too much weed in here. You guys can't see it, but we're all smoking a ton of weed. Big fat doobies. <laughs> Huge ribs. In my living room. Liam's Don't never tell been my higher. landlord. <laughs> Dear Mitch's landlord, <laughs> fuck you. We're getting wow, so you didn't hear it from me. high in here. We're blazing fat, flat blunts. 2D blunts. Fat, flat blunts. 2D blunts in my living room. <laughs> Full of clean coal. Two D clean coal. Blunts. Yo, have you ever had a clean coal blunt? Dude, it, it fucks you up. But no, it like, no, it cleans you out. But I was just saying so. Like, but it's like it's like a good. It's like a, like I'm fucked up no, in a good way. We call it nature's broom. It just like sweeps out your inside. Yeah, it's you clean. Fucked up colon problems. Clean coal. That's coal. What you need. Yeah, that's, you, what I, that's what yeah, it's called. You, that you can't pass a piss or a poo. Just like have some smoke some clean coal. <laughs> It'd be fine. Liam, you look upset. I'm just hearing phrases I've never heard before. Well, that's 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 the beauty of this show. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm saying. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, well, you picked it. I think this movie's. Are you gonna mark Kermodas? Well, oh, you, yeah. Do you? Can you talk about that at all? Sure, sure. There's actually been a few people who've kind of come to the praise of this movie. When it first came out in the '80s, I think Ebert gave it like two and a half stars, and he criticized it, saying that the the leading actress is miscast, which I I agree. Um, or in the very least, I don't think she gives like a really great performance. So it's partially that, and partially they don't really give her that much to do. Um, she looks at stuff. Yeah, yeah. And she does a lot of looking at and stuff. She's, she's beautiful. She's got a French accent. She's beautiful. Um, I think that's what they were looking but, for. So that, that was sort of the criticism that was issued at the time by a lot of people, just sort of middle of the road, because Godard's film broke some serious ground. And this one, nobody was really sure what to make of it. But since then, subsequently, there's been quite a few people who have uh, praised this movie, uh, one of which uh, Quentin Tarantino, actually. And uh, Taron it, Quentin Tenorino. Yeah, Keaton Tortellini. <laughs> and if you... Chucky Finster. <laughs> If you watch his, uh, or sorry, if you if you watch like True True Romance or something like the or an earlier film that he wrote, there's a lot of um, this movie in True Romance with that sort of rockabilly sensibility. I say that ten times fast, but um, there's there's a lot of that in in this particular film. And uh, Mark Kermode, who is one of the leading film critics with the BBC, has also said that this movie is better than Godard. But Mark Kermode really hates Godard more than I do. Um, and He's got a real vendetta. Yeah, there's for- actually like a video of him, I think, in like the mid-aughts or whenever film socialism came out. And he, he went to, uh, to Cannes to go and see it. And he just like goes into complete rant about how pretentious all the French critics are and how pretentious Khan is. And he's like, if I could never go to Khan ever again, I'd be 
fucking thrilled. Oh. Uh, it's great because I think that you know so much of the of the the film circuit and people who like venerate these old French films are just like like crusty like pretentious miserable fucks and they're like oh but it does not reach the same heights as uh, the Godard or you know so I think um, yeah there's there's been a few people who've kind of come out of the woodworks and really praised this film for what it is as um, you know a distinctly American take on 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 the on the thing um, whether or not this one is better than the Godard I don't know I think where I land with this movie <sighs> They're on just, a runway. So stylistic, stylistically, they're both just like complete opposites uh, in terms of editing, in terms of everything else. The the Godard film, uh, I think, feels fresher in a lot of the stylistic choices. In other ways, not so much. But I think uh, visually, in terms of like the art direction and the cinematography in this movie, and the, the you know the the color palette. Um, it's stunning and this film has the advantage of being in color whereas the 1960 film is in black and white and uh, it, it kind of makes sense coming to America that it looks that way but I found at what a runtime of an hour and 40 that this film manages to feel long and I, I'm never I like movies about people on the run like kids on the run for example like we did Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it was kind of resi- it was Reminiscence, or no, no, Leatherface. Yeah. We did Leatherface, and it's kind of reminiscent of this movie as like a kids on the run kind of romance movie. And I like a lot of those movies. Other times they don't hit because they're just kind of like road movies, but with, um, you know, uh, a pursuer in the equation. And I think this movie drags. I think Richard Gere gives a really strong performance, even though his character is insufferable. I think the leading female star is just okay at best, and in other places not really great because she doesn't have that much to do. I, I don't like the ending at all whatsoever. I think the ending of this movie is terrible compared to the Godard ending. Uh, I don't know if I want to spoil the ending quite yet, but in the Godard movie... Uh, in classic Godard fashion, Jean-Paul Belmondo's character gets shot down in a hail of gunfire, and then he turns to his partner and says, you're a real louse, which I think is just unforgettable. And um, in this movie, it's just, it's fucking bizarre. And uh, the the musical choices in this film, I think, are mostly good, except for the ending. Um, and they have this recurring... Uh, musical motif that's from the Glassworks by Philip Glass. It's the openings, which he had, I think, released in 1981. And it was, uh, they, they used the opening um, from that as like the love theme in this movie. And then they inter-splice that with rockabilly music in the ending and uh, it ends in a freeze frame. I don't know. It's, it, none of this really works uh, for me that much, but I am positive that I like the way the film looks and I like the breezy quality, but I think by the time it ended, I had had enough of it. And I like, it's a movie that you can hang out with to a point, but so many of the characters are just kind of insufferable and they're making choices. I don't agree with that. I, that I kind of was ready for it to be over. It's an interesting exercise. I think I'm, I'm not really sure what I think about it completely though. So I think talking through the movie would be better. I just watched it like maybe an hour or two, like two or three hours ago for the first time yeah yeah cool cool liam 
Um, I I agree with your with your main takeaway of this movie. I think it does have a sort of breezy quality to it. Um, kind of fun to hang out with. Richard Gere does have a lot of charisma. Um, immediately so i think even the the, the he's got riz he does have the riz Dude's and i can say that because he's riz. at least 28 um <laughs> and so the sequences where like even we're just hanging out with him in a car i think i think those are kind of fun um but uh much like um skinnamarink I wasn't actually oh, we're that getting into it. I, I found that's, that's, that like that's not a beautiful people on the run movie. Is <laughs> no, it? very different okay. movie. It's sort but, of like a ugly dogs on the walk. <laughs> that's uh, I can relate to that. Um, <laughs> but like by by the time I I got over the second half uh, mark of this movie, I found that like I didn't think it was really saying much, and um, I was I was pretty much over it. Um, my main criticism of the movie, uh, because my my main point is that is the same as you. I think it it is breezy to an extent, but uh, I didn't end up liking it by the end of it. Um, my main criticism is the way that it seems to me like it is either um, condoning the lead character's behavior or. It is at the very least. I think it's critical. I think at, at at the very least, it seems like it's like reveling it, reveling in it, and like thinking it's cool while having the most base criticisms possible. They, they do give him a lot of space to just kind of like revel and have fun and just sort of like do his little rockabilly dances and look cool and wear these sort of himbo outfits. But I don't think he looks cool when he's doing the rockabilly dances. I think maybe in the 80s he might have. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Um, like for Quentin Tarantino to come out and say that this is like one of the well, coolest movies ever made. This is like Tarantino cool. Like this yeah. is like Jackrabbit Slims, like where all the waiters dress like your favorite characters. Uh, like you have Buddy Holly, who's your waiter, and Marilyn Monroe. Like this is this is that. It's caught in that sort of mid-century kitsch. Yeah. But does it matter if, like to what extent do you feel that it matters that the movie seems to condone it? Like does it matter? If it does? To me it does because I didn't think that there was much else to the movie besides just hanging out with him. And so if... if besides I, being like, hey boys, you can do this and it's cool. Yeah, yeah, I did think that. Um, and so it kind of felt to me like a, like a movie that like people criticize Fight Club or people criticize like Fight Club or Joker for being like these bravado dude movies that like... Um, uh, kind of dudes that are like too proud of themselves like can can get into, and I think those two movies have much more a point than this movie does. I think this movie is. Uh, and you feel that this should kind have of flat. more of a point. I think it should have had more of a point because uh, otherwise it is just to me seems like it's condoning that behavior, and so I don't understand like what the what the what the movie is trying to do if not that. To your point about not getting what the deal is with what the movie's trying to do. I'm just, I just sort of like looked at this and I'm like on paper, this is loaded with stuff that I theoretically like. That's what I was thinking when I watched it. Yeah. Like it's got, it's got Richard gear and his little Richard. It's got his dick and it's out 
<laughs> that was, I don't it's like covered how I in said pubes. That. <laughs> it was the eighties. Um, you were either like a swimmer, or you were like Elliot Gould. I don't know what that means. You just a hairy guy. I don't know. I just needed to think of like something funny to say. They're not all gonna be good. We'll roll with it. Nah, whatever. Um, it's got the pastels. It's got the 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 distinct eighties vibe. It's hitting and the eighties eighties bravado. It's hitting a lot of like these really distinct like aesthetic and cultural notes that I enjoy or find interesting, but I don't feel like it coalesces into much. Mm-hmm. I do like what it's doing with this like silver surfer side I angle. Knew you would like that. I for so, should have mentioned that. I fucking hated that. Well, here's the thing. I want to I want to quantify why I like it. It's kind of fun Americana. Yeah, like I like it in the way that it's like we're and this is not me saying that you can't interpret comic books this way, but I like that for this guy, like the thing that he attaches a lot of like significant personal and cultural relevance to when he speaks about other things is like he really identifies with the silver surfer i think that's like an interesting gambit to play um i liked the shots they had of the panels and how they like mobilized it in the movie yeah um it's it's interesting but somewhat inaccessible to me but yeah my biggest thing with with all of this is just to what end and I don't feel like I was getting anything out of watching it. Like, it's fun to look at. And you've got, like, hot people doing stuff. And, like, that's great. Right? Sure. Beautiful people on the run. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's fun for a while. But, like, but why? But why am I doing it? Like, what am I supposed to be taking away from my experience watching the movie? Yeah. And I don't feel like i know your cast is much better looking in this movie than the breath than godard's breathless yeah so i guess like my biggest frustration point was just sort of being like well why did you make the movie then and aside from like glitzing it up i don't really know and that was kind of frustrating because like i watched it and it's like very it's like very watchable like the performances richard gear in particular i think is quite good Mm -hmm. i thought she was fine valerie uh I have to pull up her last name. Pardon me. Um, ah, Starts with a K. Valerie Kapritsky. I thought she was like, okay. I can understand the complaints of her being miscast. I think that's largely a side effect of not being given anything to do rather than necessarily being... Because I think if you're miss... If you have little to do and aren't directed well in doing it, then maybe you're going to look particularly worse. Maybe maybe she just didn't do great. And she really was know. at this point, I understand, fairly an unknown quantity in American cinema. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I guess I just kind of I don't really know what to make of it because like, I don't think it's bad, but I don't know what it's it's hoping to make me think. I think if you're coming at this movie and you're looking for anything more than like 80s does the 50s kitsch and just kind of like um, some fun sort of like but also insufferable kind of male bravado and other yeah. stuff. I think it's important really briefly, sorry, but just to underscore the insufferability of it. Yeah, Richard Gere's great. This dude sucks. But that's the point of his character. Obviously. I mean, it's, it's so deliberate. Yeah. Like I'm not saying that like 
it's bad because he's bad. I think Richard Gere is yeah. great at playing this dude that sucks. Yeah, but I think um, I think you take like those sort of points of of his rockability kind of character that, that is um, like a shit dude, and you take the the way that the film looks yeah. and and feels, and the way that the characters move within it, and there is a kind of a beauty and a grace with the with uh, the leading uh, female star as well, and you just kind of leave it at that, and I feel like that's all there is really to it i feel like if you go looking for i think the things that made it interesting when it was made in france you're not going to find it but i don't know what those there. are it's not so there. i'm not looking for that because yeah. i don't know what those but are if you go looking for that you're not going to be happy yeah but what i'm saying is like shouldn't it have its own thing that makes it interesting beyond the kitsch audit too I think it probably should, but I... T- it, I don't know if it does. Well, apparently it does, because Quentin Tarantino thinks it's really yeah, well, cool. No, Tarantino's a fucking idiot. But no, Tar- so, like, Tarantino whatever. likes it for the kitsch. That's the reason why. He's championed it as sort of like an aesthetic uh, work. And, and aesthetically, and, I think it's great. Yeah, and Aesthetically, like, this movie owns... And you see, like, the... Uh, you see kind of, like, in a lot of his characters are influenced by that kind of rockabilly sensibility, like like uh, Vincent Vega from, from Pulp Fiction, you know? Um... um Who's who's yeah, played by 80s, John John Travolta? The eighties fucking loved rockabilly. They they love the fifties, and so I think you you see a lot of these kind of characters in his earlier films, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, these guys are wearing cowboy, or Mister Blonde is wearing cowboy boots with metal steel toes. He keeps a straight razor in it. He he dances a sort of a, a twist w- while he cuts a cop's ear off. There's there is um, flourishes of rockabilly sensibility in, in a lot of his earlier films. Um, so I, I totally see why he's into it. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's, that's what the movie's main objective was to just be kitschy and kind of like a fun <sighs> slice of life. And like, I do like it on that aesthetic level. I guess I'm just like wondering if mm-hmm. they intended for me to get more out of it or if it was just like, we're going to make like bubble gum. But it, it is grating cause you know, the picaresque nature where it's just, we go here, we steal this car, and then we steal another car, and then we hide in a movie theater. It's a very repetitive structure. And we go structure. to a dance club. It's just sort of like the immediate obstacles in front of our character because they're on the run, and that is the point of the movie. But as a viewer, I don't think that it's necessarily the most engaging thing. And that is, beat for beat, the issue that I always get when I watch these kids on the run movie. At some point... I'm like, okay, it's getting boring, and then the law shows up. And uh, I don't even think that the, the law showing up really makes this movie that much more interesting. It's not like, say, Badlands or something by Terrence right. Malick, which I think is a... The law feels like an afterthought. Yeah. Kind yeah, of. The, the law in, the, in this movie does. I, I, and I think the relationship also feels a bit like an afterthought, and that's why it 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 doesn't completely work for me. So in what way, Mitch, did you think that this movie was critical of that main character? Because if it's operating on that level, that sounds like a reason to exist. Well, he's, he's just so clearly a loser. You know, I... Well, I, sure. I, I, don't, I don't think they're hiding that, though. I think that the movie definitely goes through efforts to show how much of a loser this guy is. That's what I'm saying, yeah. And, and, and sort of how much of a, of a, you know, a snake that he is and how he is deliberately bringing down someone who has a lot of things going for her, someone who is not from this part. And he's just an American is like, Oh, she's French. She's exotic. She's beautiful. I want her. And 
and he ruins her her chances at at in architectural greatness because she's an architect and she and she's doing all these other things. She has a good thing going with another guy, and he beat for beat kind of ruins it. And somehow she complicitly joins him in that. Like she she's with him to a point, but not completely. And she's still figuring it out. And they're they're both flawed people that are just kind of rolling with the punches. Um, but while that said, I think that the film, um, very clearly shows what kind of a self-serving kind of a character that Richard Gere is. Is that necessary? Is that inherently critical though for somebody to just be self-serving? Right? No, like, no. Cause I think cause some people might see that and just be like, fuck yeah. Some, dude. And again, again, people watch Patrick Bateman. They're like, this guy's it. They're like, I, I too am into business. Walter cards White, and killing this guy's people it or whatever. Walter White. He's it. Dean Norris, sex gifts. Oh, yo, have I given you my Skylar White impression? No. I've been working on it. Can, do you mind if we just take a, a slight break so I can give it to you? Of course. Okay. You better <clears> say clean cold during it, though. Walter, what are you doing with a second cell phone? Are you selling drugs or something? <laughs> and this is Skylar Sky- White? The Skylar White. Right. I've, I've been working on it for years. Yeah. It's... Spitting image. Thank you. Spitting sound. Thank you. But back to your back to your question, um, whether or not enough is done to kind of demonize this sort of masculinity. And uh, does the movie need to do that though? No, no, no. I, I don't think it necessarily does. But I, I think, it, in my view, I don't know if the movie necessarily needs to do it. But I think that it does do it in a kind of like a cinema verite kind of way, where you just kind of spend enough time with these characters and you're like yeah this guy's gross and it's just so abundantly clear that he's pulling this woman down the wrong path you know it's it's it's, um it affects your your perception of the characters purely by observation and living with it and you can just tell that he's toxic yeah Yeah, but but, so i i don't think that like us being able to tell that he's toxic means that the movie's being critical um it just means that we don't align with uh, the type of person this guy is. But like the movie ends with him the dancing. woman, him dancing, being cool. The woman admitting her love for him, going back to his side after hesitating. And he even ostensibly wins in the gunfight. Like the change to the, uh, to the 1960s one. I don't, I don't think he wins it. Then why wouldn't they show him get shot like they do in the original one because i think maybe they are a bit high on on this character i think to a point i think they want you to like richard gear has a contract where he cannot be shot with a gun no i think (laughs) i think i think they want you to like aspects of his character but um and again he does give a very charismatic performance like you both said but um i don't think that the movie wants you to to completely go along with him I, I, every every minute of the point, every, every sort of minute as the film goes through the motions and he's getting closer to Mexico and, and, and trying to distance himself, I don't think the film wants you to come along with him. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Uh, I just didn't get that from this movie. Like I could get that from like an uncut gems sort of situation where you've got a big climax where things are made clear. Same with American Psycho. Um, I also think that's more of what those movies are about. I don't think this movie is about 
that. Exactly. I don't think it's about much of anything. That's why I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because when you try to extrapolate beyond, like, his presence and the way it, like, influences where the movie goes, like, there's there's nothing. Like, he's the crux of the entire thing. Because if you take him out, this is just a girl going to school. Yeah. (laughs) Like... And I, I think... Like, eventually you see how he's acting in desperation. And I don't think that the film is sympathetic towards that desperation. I think at any point, like, where he's uh, robbing car dealers and, like, just fucking beating people up or, or uh, locking a guy in the bathroom with a plunger, right? Like, he, he's just doing these increasingly underhanded things that are, like, that are bad. And, and I don't know if the film takes like an outright moral stance but i think just by the language of cinema verite just showing you all of these um flaws that are are plain as day i think um it does enough of a job to kind of show that he's he's a shit guy but then what but then what indeed right yeah like that's that's really and then it's cool because the movie's got like a very fun aesthetic. Yeah. And that's kind of it. And like, I kind of wish he, he died in a hill of gunfire like Belmondo's character. I think that would have changed. I think that would have changed a lot of things. I think, I think that would, that would make really like changed movie how more. alive certain people were. Yeah. Well, I will, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think for me, the fact that it doesn't have that, the ending that breathless does. And, Part of what makes Breathless interesting in so many of those French New Wave movies with people on the kids on the run, right? Elevator to the Gala, Elevator to the Gallows does this. They live by night. All these movies, it's it's a hard learning of innocence, where where um, loss of innocence or uh, sorry, a hard loss of innocence, where you kind of learn that you know when you cross the law and you do things like that, that it's a hard learned lesson. I fought the law and the law won. Exactly, one could say, and and so I think like that is more. Um, appealing and kind of a, a potent story to me where you have a kind of a, a folk hero character or something like that. Someone who is, I think, a bit more easy to romanticize and who who is finally gets their their comeuppance. And in this movie, you don't have that. And Or if it does, it happens off camera. It's ambiguous. And I think that um, what made Breathless great was it was these kids who were on the run who kind of make a mistake killing a police officer. Maybe it's a mistake. Maybe it's not. And, um, you know, that they, it's just a series of hard learned lessons. And I think it's more interesting that way and more loose and more, more breezy and more ambiguous. And I think there's more to engage with and in here, not so much. So the only other big, like thematic arc, I feel like we can maybe grab aside from like that core, like crux of his presence. And then like the relationship stuff, which I mean, we'll get to throughout but you both or at least Liam did I guess like reacted negatively to the silver surfer thematic <sighs> grasp angle I liked it just for the 80s comic board comic book store uh, kitsch yeah and so there's two things I want to ask about I want to ask about like why that doesn't click and also like everybody wanted to quote that sequence what is it about that sequence that was the memorable part right to me, uh, just I wanted different? to quote it because it's the mo- I think it's the most bad part. The think, most bad. Uh, yeah, I think it's the really? worst worst part. I yeah. think I think it's it lays it on pretty thick. Yeah. Where it's like, here's your symbolism, viewer, where 
The Silver <laughs> Surfer couldn't run away, and neither could Richard Gere. <laughs> what is this, Skylar White? Uh, no, I don't think she said that. But the voice. Hmm. I think I've just been practicing it so much that it, it, just co- coming, it comes. You're out. like Austin Butler yeah. with the Elvis voice. I'm I'm like Austin Butler. I'm like uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm showering it on a bit too thick. You're a star of I'm our time. Resting on my laurels, perhaps. Ah. So, so Liam, you think it's bad? I do. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, laid on really thick. I think it is the most rote part of the movie. I think it's it's when the movie is trying to to do the most. Um, but I think it's just in the most like boneheaded, plain faced way possible. Um, I almost it almost makes me wish that like the movie had tried to be about less because this one time that it is like trying to step out of that cinema verite thing because mm-hmm. it's a very I think it's a very unrealistic conversation the two of them are having yeah um, they're just totally delivering like ninth grade essay talking points on yeah. like comparisons between the Silver Surfer and and Richard Gere's character I think I think the acting particularly from the kid is really bad but it's you know he's he's working with terrible material um, and I think it I is, do appreciate you giving the kid the benefit of the doubt yeah the yeah. kid's fine the kid's doing a fine job um, yeah so I, I just think it is like uh, just so um offensively obvious it's like it's like 90s sitcom like boy meets world on steroids because boy meets world would at least take a whole 20 minute episode to flesh it out whereas i think this movie really crams it into that one sequence and then we get like a brief callback um also boy meets world is at least about that yes (laughs) yeah he's he's talking to his partner about the silver surfer and he's like yeah run and you know i like to run and that's right yeah and so it just and and i also think that the the purpose of that conversation is to get us to sympathize more with richard gear's character (laughs) um so in that way i'm just even more confused you know how I like to run. I gotta run away. I've been running away my whole life. Just like me in the Silver Surfer. Pretty soon there's gonna be a jailhouse rock. The if you know Silver what I mean. Surfer, he wants to go, but he can't because people are good. What if you're not good? What happens to you then? Richard Gear, what happens to you? You ain't nothing but a war profiteer. <laughs> you ain't nothing Lying but a in the silver surface. <laughs> this is unhinged. This is why we don't do them in person. I don't think these bits are that far beyond the regular bits that we do. Fair. You you just have to bear witness to it. That's the unpleasant part. Yeah. It's like watching Sallow. It's like it's nothing like that. It's just like that. having watched Salah with my good buddy here, <laughs> it's, Liam. It's, it's nothing like that. It's, it's exactly the same thing. <laughs> I loved when they used Hound Dog and Salah. <laughs> yeah, I love the part where they they get in that rocket. He's got his blue suede shoes on. That's right. That's the, the best part is when the Libertines put on their blue suede shoes. <laughs> That's right. They have that jailhouse rock. I do have a note that just says this dude is such an incel. Yes, <laughs> kind of, yeah, he is, and I think that one particular scene with the sh- the shower sequence, right? Oh, that sucks. Where man. he he, I, it's a bit ambiguous, but I guess he he forces himself in the shower, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah it's, it's just kind of gross like she's like mad at him but he just keeps making passes at her and she keeps going along and there's kind of that element of like stockholm yeah, sy- syndrome that i wish they touched yeah, on there's more a, there's this there's this i guess this is what liam's complaining about but there's this element of like persistence works and if if you get 10 no's and one yes and then 10 more no's it's a yes like yes, that yeah. kind of mentality is very present. Yeah, yeah. I think those moments, um, as the relationship goes on, is really where I had a problem with him. Yeah, he throws that fucking answering machine out the window because he thinks he's she's fucking the dude who's leaving the message. Yeah, because he, they, they did smooch. But yeah, but it's like last night was good. And it's like well, that can mean a lot of things. Like I'm gonna tell people this night was good. None of us fucked. Like we don't need to get crazy. Like I, I can confirm. It is only 7 p.m. But like I'm not anticipating any of that today. And I'm, you have people in your lives that would be fairly upset if that happened. I'm going to keep this bit going because Mitch hates it. And I can see him reacting to it. <laughs> I just, he's, you look so disappointed. No, I'm having a good laugh over here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think for a movie to go to those extremes um with with this character and i don't even think like the way that they're 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 played out it actually like some people might not realize they're so extreme but to have to have your your lead character be so terrible um i really think that the movie like has to do more with it either to criticize it or you know it doesn't it doesn't need to be um uh necessarily like a a cautionary tale in order to show mm-hmm. that these things are bad but i think it it has to do something i think there has to be more on the bone as opposed to just uh putting these things in front of people and and just hoping and that hoping they... that 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 people will realize that uh this is this is this is bad and like to, i to think your point with joker i think that's what happened there or with with so many taxi drivers so many other movies where they just they just leave it in hope that you kind of get it. Yeah, and I think like some of those movies, I think those movies go to go to even further further extents than this movie. I agree. You know, this they, one's they, watered they, down. They, they culminate in you know mass murder and things like that. Yeah. Um, whereas this movie, uh, I don't I don't think it does that. You know, when I say that this movie goes to extremes, um, I don't actually mean it. I guess I just mean there are like little moments of dialogue and stuff where you're like, this dude like is you know when he's demanding to see uh, see the woman's tits. Um, gosh, it's just like. It's really yeah. blunt and stark, but it but it's also not sensationalized or pushed far enough that I think uh, the goal is to have people. Yeah, it's be just forcefully horny, and that they don't do enough necessarily to to make him sympathetic either. I think that like the character in in the 1960 version is a bit more sympathetic, maybe because he's like younger and he's like stupid. Yeah. And I like I think there there is more um, sympathy in that sort of damned youth's plot, especially with the fatal consequence that is kind of trademark with the new wave. I think there there could have been maybe more there. Um, a had they chosen to like kind of uh, kill him, or or B. <sighs> had they had they kind of taken more measures to to condemn him i'm not sure um because they i think it 
does condemn him to a point and but it, it's just so open and so uh ambiguous and yeah it's yeah. it's frustrating almost that this has to be the crux of the conversation but there is so little else to meaningfully comment on in what the movie is trying to do because even if you make this like a purely aesthetic conversation it's like mm-hmm. yeah it's like 80s pastel like glitz excess and yeah. a little bit of like you know criminal seediness for color and like even then that's pretty light mm-hmm. and like it's uh, there are some shots i do like though there's um there's a shot of him like looming over the pool and the background's like completely white where the sky is i yeah. thought that looked kind of cool that sequence is really um, interesting and again they have the soundtrack from the glassworks there yeah, too that, and, and i do like the way that that soundtrack is brought in yeah that hyper color dusk when he after he steals the car and it's like the most orange that dusk is gorgeous so it, it looks life. like rear rear projection yeah there's two instances of rear projection at least because there's that one yeah. and there's one later where they're just driving together which yeah. which is fun because I, I think in breathless i don't think they did rear projection then maybe they did maybe my memory just doesn't serve me well but now that's too movie but that's uh too movie yeah french new wave i don't think they yeah do i don't that. think i no, don't, they think, got I don't think they did and nobody wore seat belts and everybody but drank. They, they do it in the, and they live by night and all the gun crazy it looks great here i like these, i like yeah. its use here it it feels like an appropriate calling back to 40 cinema yeah. 50 cinema all um, these i wish away. there was more of it honestly yeah like, i wish it leaned into those elements more and i, I think i think if you want to see a movie like this you'd be better served watching badlands just watch badlands it's the better movie that covers all of these same touchstones point, and touchstones stuff. it looks better and this movie looks great but i think just watch badlands it's it's more interesting it, it's more uh evocative in, in its plot points the the performances are better martin sheen's extraordinary i think it's sissy spacek it is um yeah it is yeah, just watch Badlands. Um, this movie could have used a split screen or two. This movie was begging for a split screen. You think so? Just because I wanted this to... I feel like there's I not... I think it a, could because it's about two characters, right? Yeah, there's so also just not enough it. style. Like, there's aesthetic excess, but there's not much like cinematic yeah. excess. Like, it's a very... like. Like it's snappily edited mm. and I think it's paced well, but yeah. it's just like they really could have went. They could have done a star wipe. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Like they could have really went for it. I feel like it's weirdly tame in that respect, mm-hmm. given the bombasticness of some of the other elements of it. Yeah. I wanted to get back on some of the more like stylistic points you were talking about. Like, uh, for example, when she first all the uh, coals dirty is, is getting dressed uh, in her apartment and it's playing the hours for the first time. Yeah. And, and she's, uh, I think she, she has the ice cube. Yeah, and she's putting on like a painter's smock or something. Yeah, no, and she's she, buttoning. Up, she's gonna be buttoning up a shirt. Is this when she's sitting? And it's really hot in the room. Yeah, and she's like got the ice cube on her chest and then like puts it in her yeah. mouth. Yeah, and like my jaw dropped during that. That scene. shot is awesome. It, that shot is gorgeous and yeah. and it's lingering and it's moving and and it works about, beautifully with the sound and and the light. <laughs> the light in the room is gorgeous. The way that it kind of just like seeps into the frame. But and, and again, I think the, the decor in her room too, with yeah. with these sort of pastels and sort of depression era glass and stuff yeah. like that. That honestly, that ice cube shot's given body heat. It is. It's time. giving huge body heat, and I think that like that's a wonderful, just real sequence, sweaty stuff, really beautiful. And I think you do feel the heat in this movie. Every single character has pit stains on their underarms. Um, yeah. It is kind of like Richard a, Gere's finding excuses to not wear shirts. Yeah, like, you know, he doesn't need to find too many. He went to the used clothing store. There who, it is. who among us? Who among us? Who among us hasn't gone to the used clothing store? 
I'm just not talking into the mic at all. Mike was literally sitting on the Mike table. Mike was on the table. <laughs> but I'm I'm gradually just kind of running out of things to say about this movie. I think it's an interesting exercise if you've seen the 1961 just because it's so venerated, right? Liam, I don't know. I don't remember if I asked you this or not, but which do you prefer? Um, I, I, I would prefer the sixties one. I mean, I'd be curious to watch it again. Just, I wanted just to. to, I wish I had, you know, so I could think about them in relation to each other because I really do forget like what that movie is, is actually about and saying, you know, I can just kind of remember the feel of it. I remember the ending and because it ends differently than this one, I'm, I'm more inclined to think that I, I like the other one. Um, I don't recall being bothered by, um, either of the two main actors in the original whereas in no, this one no. i i think the i think the the woman um lead is kind of i think it's noticeable that she is isn't isn't as good as richard gear i think her lines feel very stilted um so i, I definitely like i like the original yeah. more i don't yeah. think she's really written like any women i like i really know either it doesn't feel doesn't really feel like authentic or how someone like an actual woman would like react in that situation. And I'm saying this as a man, but I think it just, it just feels like, I don't know. It was written by a dude. Yeah. You'd, Cause does, you'd yeah. like to think that a real person could see the forest from the trees a little better. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like, well, clearly this dude's, they wrote her with horse blinders. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that really bums me out. I think it's like, even though we can come away from the movie condemning it, condemning that character, I don't think that's the same as the movie condemning it or the movie like telling us to condemn it. Yeah, yeah, I think the movie just takes a really open approach. And I think like, you can just sort of, I think it wants you to kind of go down that condemnation road. And it definitely takes the efforts to kind of make his character repugnant. But then, like the badass freeze frame, still sticks in my head at the end, where he's got his gun and he freeze frames, and and it kind of like it looks like a hero shot. Like, especially if you've seen the original, you can think, oh, he's a he's about to get shot. It's a Bonnie and Clyde moment. Yeah. So it's it's just kind of dumb. It's a dumb ending in a movie that I think has some like good things going for it, but I can't endorse it. I think as as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, me either. Yeah, I mean obviously I can't compare it to Breathless. OG. Can't compare Breathless to Breathless. No. In the same breath. But I uh I think that it's not bad, right? Like it's just not great. It's not what we want it to no, be. No, it it should have more to it. Like you can watch it and have a perfectly fine time, mm-hmm. and you'll probably have some fun with how some of it looks and like the the spiciness, the, the spirit of it, all. of it. I think, yeah, it, the American spirit. Yeah, um, good old fashioned American spirit. Um, but yeah, it does leave me wanting something else. I don't, and it's just not there. Yeah, I think if it's gonna be about very little which I think it is, um, it needs to be even more fun. Yeah, like it, it was okay to watch, but I never want to watch it again. And because it ended up being about so little to me, like I would give it less than an average score because I think that... Is it, it getting the Skinnamarink score? It would pro- It would be a bit less than Skinnamarink um, because that movie is, is more adventurous. Yeah. I like love when we three, make, three out of ten. I love when we make comparisons 
that are just nonsense. Like when we did the Avatar Nightmare Alley comparisons or when we're doing this in Skin of a Ring. And I said it was a stupid comparison and I feel bad because it wasn't like I was calling you stupid. It is stupid, but it's fun but, to do stupid shit. Yeah, no, I, I just... I think this is an interesting exercise, especially if you've seen the original and and you know the kind of the place that it occupies in film history. Uh, and I think just seeing how the 80s took on Breathless. Yeah. But I can't recommend it in good conscience. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. Sorry, Mark and Quentin. Sorry, Mark. I'm not sorry to Quentin, though. No, I'm not either. Although he's made some good movies. I'll give him that. Okay. So... I know what you're all wondering. What are we doing next week? You may already know. Yeah, neither of us are wondering that. But I'm dear not, listeners, I'm let's, let's create a fiction here for a second. Let's say you're wondering what we're going to do next week and then this happens. And not so fast. Okay, that was a lot of buildup for a bit that's not happening. And I am truly apologetic for that. Hello, this is Corey from after the episode was recorded. And the issue that we have is that we made a really elaborate tee-up for the next episode. It had stuntmen and choreography and a dance number and pyrotechnics. Really went all out for the first in-person recording that we had done as a trio. And then some scheduling issues came up that we really can't do anything about. And at the last minute here, right at the crack of dawn on this episode, um, we did have to completely change the movie that we were going to do and temporarily drop a guest so we're gonna save that the audio has been locked away in the tmao archives for the time being and instead we're actually gonna circle back to our good buddy shane shane you'll remember from the beginning of this episode when he gifted us very graciously a vcr which i would like to add i have been using and did pick up a massive haul today of tapes so we'll have to get to some of those there are some sequels in there we won't be doing that just yet but it was shane's pick uh following this great gift we said that he could give us a movie and we'll just do it and um he said friday the 13th part six jason lives so that will be the movie that's happening next week we will make up the big song and dance that we've established here but uh thank you again very very much shane for sending that over and uh, we're very excited to get to the movie that you suggested so again friday the 13th part six jason lives is what's coming up next week and now i will let the past version of the they made another one podcast uh wrap up the show for this week and i'm just gonna ask uh liam if he has anything he wants to plug I have a film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can find me at Graham the Mallow. See what I rate movies, because I'm not a coward. Right. Um, I'm actually just going to... I know we don't normally do it that way, um, but I need to ask... It's all backwards. I need to build build some time. Uh, Mitch, do you have anything you'd like to plug? <laughs> I think you missed out not videoing that. Otherwise, I know, people I are just, we we just did it. people are just gonna think that you put in a blaring a, sound a, this effect. This is a water buffalo horn. I'll just take a picture of him with it. We'll put it on Instagram. Do you want me to film this? Well, the, I'm recording this as a video. <laughs> Your thoughts? That was, a, that was a water buffalo horn. So true. Um, thank you very much, Mitch. Um, I already asked Liam because we were we were filling for time. 
we were we were taking it. Well, we I went to go get my water buffalo horn. Yeah, I, I like, I like that voice. I had to go. You like this voice, Corey? Come get some chocolate. You want to go get some chocolate? <laughs> They're selling what? <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> I remember when they first invented chocolate. Sweet, I'm sweet. About to, I'm, I'm about to disconnect my mic. I always hate it. <laughs> Oh, you got a bit of chocolate frogs for me. Anything, chocolate! Anything from the trolley, dears. A bit of chocolate frogs and we'll have the lot, thanks. Finally! I've been trying to catch you boys all day. Now that I've got you right where I want you, I want to buy all your chocolate. Okay, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can listen to my other podcasts. Just go to MortalCombatConquest.ca, folks. They're all there. Let's not make this complicated. Um, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast.gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what kind of horn you want us to blow into next week. Uh, our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find it on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, we'll be doing a different movie than I originally said we'd be doing here next week. On oh, They Made Another One?